everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast. We're your hosts, Brian Edwards, Nathan Cravat. I'm JC Groves. Hey, we want to thank our sponsor, Free Life Soap. They have been keeping the guys in the RFP nice and clean for a long time. You can check them out by going to recoveringfundamentalist.org. Click on the Free Life Soap tab. Use your promo code RFP. Get 20% off of your order. And guys, there's a special group of folks that I think I want to take some time and really think and that's the patrons of patreon yes sir we got a lot of overhead for the podcast and that's some great folks we have there as patrons on patreon and so we want to give a special thanks to them we also want to thank justin knight for all the hard work that he does behind the scenes fellas you know what's coming up in just a few short weeks the bourbon missouri meetup baby let's go it's gonna be so exciting Bourbon, Missouri, August 26th, 27th, and 28th. We're going to be meeting uh, a lot of the RFP fam, and I can't wait to be there. We may have a special guest that'll show up and sing. Could be on the podcast tonight. I don't know if we can afford him, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, JC, everybody that signed up for the uh, Bourbon, Missouri meetup and everybody who is on the fence about signing up, they don't even realize how awesome this is going to be because I promise I promise if you haven't signed up yet, you want to. And if you just need a little bit of encouragement, all you need to do is go back and listen to the meetup episode and that yeah. will seal the deal. Yeah, I'm looking forward to some of the singing and we're planning on upping our game at this meetup and maybe even recording some of the singing at a little bit higher level. So uh Big things are coming. we got some surprises for you. It's going to be awesome. And we still have room. You can go to recoveringfundamentalist.org, click on the Meetup tab, and uh, get your spot filled today. So, guys, we have had some very good and some mixed reviews from the episode last week on mm -hmm. Music Part 1. Man, I thought that was one of our best episodes, and we've been looking forward to that. That's definitely one of the top three or four uh, issues from the Independent Fundamental Baptist Movement and other uh, denominations as well. But some of the pushback that we got included Mr. Brian Edwards' statement that was pretty harsh against, I'll fly away. Man, where I grew up, that was that was a sacred song. That You're on sacred ground with that one, man. You can't touch it. Brian, you may have to explain yourself a little bit more. Well, first of all, I never said that I'll fly away was wrong. I never said that loving I'll fly away was wrong. I never said that singing I'll fly away is wrong. And look, you can sing it and imagine yourself in the garden with granny when she had on her long dress and her apron gathering up vegetables and singing I'll fly away, and it can bring you to tears, and that's fine. What we were talking about was music among the congregation, music among the church. And my position is, Hope Church is never going to sing I'll Fly Away together as a congregation. Now, if we're somewhere by a fireside and uh, we, you know, we're having a stew in the fall and somebody wants to crank up on a, an acoustic guitar and a banjo and sing I'll Fly Away, I'll join in. I can't help that I'll Fly Away is not a good song. You can love it. You can love it with all of your heart. You can love it passionately. It may have been mama's favorite song, and you may have seen her wave her handkerchief while she sang it. It's still not a good song to sing among the church. Hey, Brian, one of our listeners said that you sounded a little bit legalistic about I'll Fly Away. <laughs> you know, 
I didn't read any of those comments. I haven't been, <laughs> I haven't been reading any of that. Um, but here's the thing. This is where I'm not legalistic. If someone else wants to sing that and they feel great singing that as a congregation, then absolutely have at it. Like sing it all you want to sing it to the top of your voice, sing it and run the aisles and crawl the pews and have somebody <laughs> flip over in the baptistry. If that's what you want to do. Amen. I was saying that personally for the family of hope church. Yeah. I honestly think the problem is that you've never heard David Crowder sing. I'll fly away. Cause he takes it to a whole nother level, man. Well, you know, the issue was we were talking about to God for God. Um, we were talking about, you know, music within the realm of a church congregation. Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. First of all, you will not fly away. People do not become angels. You are not getting wings. You can wish them happy birthday on Facebook and tell them they're an angel, but they're not. We are the blood-bought children of Jesus Christ. We would have to have a downgrade to be an angel. So we're not going to fly away. Um, we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and he is with us. We are transferred to be absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord. Paul never said, I'll fly away. But when this life is over, I'll fly away. Is there room for poetic interpretation in songs? Like the rapture is kind of like we're flying away, or when we go to heaven, it's like crossing Jordan like we're flying away. I mean, if if Canaan was a type of heaven, then it that would work. <laughs> There's a lot of people who are angels. They're always up in the air harping about something. <laughs> but, you know, I'll fly away when this life is over. I'll fly away when I die. Hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. My point is, it's just not to God, about God, for God. Hmm. You know, I just noticed something, Brian, when you were when you were reading those lyrics. It kind of sounds a little bit like a Seven Eleven song, doesn't it? Oh, hello! Ooh, it sure does, as a matter of fact, and it, it and it is. Yeah, I mean, it's, wow! You just can't. You just you just crawled over the fence quick there, Nathan, because I know you love all flowers. I, I think I just came over to your side, Brian. <laughs> well, oh. and so no. In all seriousness, guys, I mean, I, I'm you know me. I'm straightforward and I'm blunt, and I don't I don't mean it to be mean. I never do, but. Let me just say this. You can love I'll Fly Away. Uh, my wife and I own a copy of Alan Jackson's hymn CD. And we've oh. ridden down the road and cried like babies. And, and some of the songs on that CD, I wouldn't sing among the church, but they are great for personal edification. And so here's the thing. If, if I'll Fly Away personally edifies you, and it makes you think of that day that you're going to be with the Lord and you're going to see your loved ones again and it stirs up emotion inside of you, then then buy it in every version by all means. Um, yeah. I, was, I was speaking, Nathan, about per, personally the family of Hope Church and what our criteria is for singing music among the church. So ultimately, if they think I'm legalistic, then I'm saying they're judgmental. <laughs> oh. Yeah. It's all right. Don't judge me for my legalism. It's all good because when he was on the cross, you were on his mind, Brian. So yes, it's sir. All well, good. you know, I'm just winging my way back home, and I'll walk them mm, in that, when I oh, die. In that old gospel <laughs> ship. 
<laughs> yeah. Hey, Chris's dog even said amen to that. So tonight, as we continue to talk about music, we have Kelsey Bolton and Chris McClarney on the episode with us. Chase Buchanan, who is with Connection Music. I didn't realize it, but Homeboy is in Hawaii on his anniversary trip so what? he chose hawaii over the rfp but we'll get him back on someday so this is going to be a great episode with chris and with kelsey and it's week number two of music y'all ready to get this started i am ready let's go <laughs> You know what makes women stupid is college. Jesus was not a bartender. Hi, man. Two. You have lost your mind. Long-tongued heifers have given me a lot more trouble than heifers wearing breeches. And you know that. Say amen right there. One. Let me tell you something, bozo. They'll be selling frosties in hell for this boy. Puts on a pair of pink underwear. Amen. I sucked my thumb till I was 14 years of age. Hi, man. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. It's Nathan, Brian, JC, special guests, Kelsey Bolton and Chris McClarney coming to you for week number two of our series on music. Chris, Kelsey, Yo. how y'all doing? How are you? Good, man. Welcome to the RFP. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank how you. How was your first, first impression of that intro? That intro was fantastic. <laughs> I loved how um uh I loved how it was like it's gonna start in three seconds, but then the countdown was so long. <laughs> three <laughs> two <laughs> It's like a Sammy Allen offering. You know who Sammy Allen is? No, who's Sammy Allen? Don't worry about it. I don't know either. <laughs> so Chris, did you ever hear preaching like that growing up oh yeah yeah my uh we weren't fundamental baptist but we were southern baptist my dad was a youth pastor oh. and we moved around about every year and a half to a different church and yeah i heard stuff like that really nice. so can you remember when you were a kid can you remember sitting through like invitations where they you know did everything but come down to the the pew and drag you to the altar and oh you know, yeah you had to get saved at least 45 times and baptized at least 50. well us southern baptists believed that once you were saved you were all always saved so we right. we didn't have to get re-saved but we had to rededicate our lives to the lord that's what we called it and you had to do that all the time like yeah. if not you might be backslidden <laughs> so who knows mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. And yeah, and there were a bunch of times growing up, especially at youth camp, where it would be like, uh, I know there's another one here. And then it'd be like, oh, mm -hmm. no, there's just one more. You don't. And it would, by the end of it, you'd be like, if I don't walk down there, I might go to hell. So yeah. just to be yeah. safe, <laughs> I'm just going to double up. <laughs> I think I'm okay. I'm going to double up on the salvation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we used to joke that we used to sit in youth groups and our youth pastor would be dragging on the invitation. We'd sit there and play paper, rock, scissors for who was going down to the altar to get broken <laughs> so we could go play volleyball and eat pizza. <laughs> yeah, oh, JC man. said he got saved like, like 14 times just because. I literally 
I need to get the sinner's prayer tattooed on my body because I got it word for word memorized. <laughs> Amazing. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've done wrong. For, sorry. <laughs> well, Kelsey, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for being on the RFP. Thank you for having me. I'm hoping by the end of this, people aren't like, this is nepotism. <laughs> no, you have absolutely earned uh, an interview on here. And it's awesome having having you on with Chris. I just think our listeners would love to know what it was like, what it was really like growing up in the home of Brian Edwards. Oh, it was a blast. Never a dull moment. Oh. Um, he made sure that we had so much fun. Um, he's He's awesome. He's my hero. How many times, Kelsey, did he make you come down to the altar and get he saved? He actually never did um, because I think Good. I was a rough enough kid to where people would know that it was a lie. Um, <laughs> I kind of acted up a little bit, but he never made me. Like daughter, like yep. dad. <laughs> Not nearly as bad as him, but I did act up a little bit. <laughs> well, you know, we uh, we Denise and I made a personal decision that we were never going to push any of our kids into a profession. Because, you know, that had mm. happened to me, um, not not specifically by my dad, but, you know, all those meetings we were in, you know, they'd hellfire and yep. brimstone you and then convince you to doubt your salvation so you'd go get saved all over again. And, you know, if you'd committed one sin at any point in time that you could identify that week, then, you know, they'd dangle you out over hell long enough that you'd doubt your salvation. And, and so you'd run up there and get it again. And so Denise and I just made the decision that we were never going to push our kids into a profession, that we were going to try to have gospel conversations that were ongoing in our home. We were going to try to make Jesus the centerpiece of our home and that we were just going to try to live it in front of them. And um, in the end, now we know that the grace of God is sufficient because we failed about 14 mm. billion times and um, yeah. you know did everything we could possibly do to mess it up. But in the end... Uh, God, in his time, drew every one of our children to himself, and uh, all three of them uh, love Jesus. And to see Kelsey, it's you awesome. know what a lot of people don't realize? Kelsey has a four-year degree, and uh, she's had job offers to make a lot more money than she's making now. But uh, it's because of her love for Jesus and the calling on her life that she's doing what she's doing. And, uh, man, that's the greatest gift God's ever given me. Well, Kelsey, if you want to work at a church, that'll pay you. We got an opening down here in South Georgia. So. South Carolina, too. Come on. I'll hit you up if the going gets rough. There we go. He softballed that up. We had to hit it out of the park there. So I tell you what, I had some PTSD last week. I was watching a camp meeting, and it got to the invitation time that was about 35, 40 minute long. And I sat there, and I was like, man, I remember that feeling because there's things that are said in such a way and the music is hitting you in such a way that my wife who did not grow up IFB we've talked about that multiple times she goes man they are really pulling on the heartstrings aren't they and I that that's somebody that's never been in a camp meeting before who was just walking in and out of this room and she said are they still pulling on the heartstrings there they're really trying to get people to that altar aren't they and how many services I've said in that all of us have said in that we like there's got to be something in my mind that I have done wrong that I need to get on that altar for because I don't want that semi-truck to hit me when I leave here. And, man, that song is really giving me a goosebump right now because they're singing that harmony perfectly. I need to run down to the altar real quick. But I had a little flashback of PTSD, and I ran around my bedroom, <laughs> and then I was saved again. So we're good. So. Hey, I listened, to a, I listened to a special revival service this week where one of our uh, fam, one of our listeners – uh, got roasted 
And this guy oh, was I heard that. just going off, selling him down the river. And when he stood up, when he stood up to preach, he said, you know what? I could preach this sermon, but I just know what the Holy Spirit's put on my heart. So I'm just going to talk to y'all tonight. So he totally went away from scripture. He totally went away from his notes and just talked. Yeah. And basically what he talked about was totally out of context, totally twisted. There was a purpose for it because there was someone in the room that he wanted to roast and he was he was going after him. But at one point in the sermon, he said something similar to this. He said, you know, I could I could open my Bible and read more scripture. He said, but I know this is what the Holy Spirit wants me to do tonight. And I'm just wondering, would you have to spend so long trying to twist people's arms to get them down to an old-fashioned sawdust altar Yeah. if you spent more time studying and just clearly presenting the gospel and allow the Holy Spirit to speak? That's like what, watching the church split this week with uh, those two young men that, that were excommunicated from their uh, church. The pastor stood up and preached for 38 minutes, but for 24 of that, he explained what the passage he was getting ready to preach on was about, and then he preached for maybe four minutes out of the actual passage. So the explanation, so is he really KJV only <laughs> is my question. Because, I mean, if you have to explain more of what the verse is saying than actually preaching the verse, you're not, you got something's messed up there. It's really sad. The Holy Spirit and God get blamed for so many things that they have nothing to do with. Amen. Yeah, they do. Yeah. And, and you know, if you stop and think about it, how frightening is it to put words in God's mouth or to mm. lean on God's credibility? Mm. You know, that's, that's a frightful thing. You know, um, I, had, I heard an old preacher say several years ago, he's a friend of mine, and there was a guy in town who just constantly said, Jesus said this to me, Jesus said that to me, Jesus said this to me. I was watching the news and Jesus spoke to me or I was listening to this conversation and God spoke to me and the old man looked at me and he said, um, he said, do you know, he said, there's two kinds of people who say that all the time. And he said, do you know who they are? And I said, who? He said, a novice and an idiot. Hmm. Oh, and there's a lot wow. of truth to that. You know, if you... If you're going to say the Holy Spirit said, it better be coming out of the Bible. Yeah. Because that's the only thing we know he inspired. And there's a good mm. possibility he's not speaking to anybody about roasting somebody in the pew because you have an mm. axe to grind. I remember Jamie Ragel had this little bit he did where people would get up and say, uh, well, the Lord gave me this song. And he'd say, no, the Lord writes better songs than that. <laughs> I've heard that before. That's now, hilarious. Now, speaking of that, though, the Lord has given Chris McClarney some songs. Oh, you're so nice. So, Chris, when did you, when did you realize that God was going to call you to be a worship leader? And then there's a story that you've got to tell everybody <laughs> that happened when you first started leading worship yeah. uh, as, a, as a young guy. So, so just take off and tell us your story and how God called you to be a worship leader and, and just share that. Yeah, I grew up, like I said, Southern Baptist youth pastor's kid. We moved around about every year and a half until I was 10 and my parents got burnt out on ministry, mm. moved home for them, which was Nashville. And uh, my dad became a school teacher. And, but up to that point in my life, all, like all of my friends, everybody was church. It was all kind of rolled around church. 
So when we showed up in Nashville, I found a church and just dove in to the youth group. And uh, when I was 14, maybe a little bit younger, I was at a home group and they said, does anybody here know how to lead worship? I didn't, but I was like, it can't be that hard. So I just raised my hand. I was like, I know how to lead worship. Uh, and so the following week, I started leading worship for this little home group. And it was a blast. I had so much fun doing it. And then like an opportunity opened for me to lead worship for the youth group. So, uh, and we were a huge church. Like we're talking, there were at least 300 kids in the youth group. And I started leading worship for that. And then accidentally, this is a whole other long story, but I accidentally took a bunch of Baptist kids to a charismatic church. It, it really was an accident. <laughs> I had gone, I had gone on my own and they prayed for me and I did not fall over. I did not speak a tongue. <laughs> but when I, so when I went back and I was like, guys, you know, I didn't fall over, but I think the Holy Spirit really wants to work through us and stuff, you know? So I was like, y'all, I've got to come with me. So I took about, uh, I had to have been 30 kids from my youth group to a charismatic church, <laughs> and they're all falling over, and I'm just standing there going, oh, God, what is happening? Uh, yeah, so I That's got kicked crazy. out of my little Baptist church for that. That was a bad thing. Oh, man. Uh, which sucked. <laughs> Uh, then I was leading worship. <laughs> I was leading worship around town. Am I, I'm going to totally get roasted for saying sucked, aren't I? No, no, not you're at fine. All. No, no, you're I'm good. on the no? podcast. You can say whatever you want. All right. <laughs> so I started leading worship around Nashville. And, uh, at this point I was just in love with it. I loved seeing people worship. It was about the only thing that brought me real like joy, just being able to hear people sing to God, us all together. And so I started traveling and leading worship. And the story that you want me to tell is that one of my very, very, very first gigs, it was just a youth camp. I think it was in Alabama. I drove down from Nashville and uh, I was leading worship at this camp. And I was a huge uh, Snoop Dogg fan, like massive, like a lot of Christians that grew up without anything except for Michael W. Smith and Sandy Patty. When I discovered uh, Snoop, Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre, I was like, I have to listen to this. <laughs> so I was sneaking that CD around behind my parents' back because they were totally not into that. And uh, <laughs> I knew all the lyrics, but again, I was so innocent. I didn't know what any of them meant. Like I, like I was rapping along, but I, I just didn't get any of the double entendres. So that's the setup for what happened, which is I get up in front of this youth group. We have a great week. Day one, day two, I'm making friends with all the kids. Day, night three, I get up to leave worship, and this kid yells, I love you, Chris. I love you. And then me, just wanting to quote Snoop Dogg, I say, you don't love me. You just love my doggy style <laughs> into the microphone. Oh, no. <laughs> the camp people got so mad. And that's when I had to sit down with, with a bunch of Baptist camp counselors while they explained what doggy style was. Oh, my word, Chris. 
No way. It you corrupted horrible. a whole youth camp. No, they all knew it. They laughed. It was the adults that were like, hey. Oh, my gosh. Well, you did it innocently. So, so Kelsey, when did you know that God was calling you to be a, a worship leader? I feel like I knew pretty young because I grew up similarly pastor's kid. The only thing is we didn't move around a lot. My dad was faithful to the church that he planted, um, even through hard seasons. A lot of my later years of elementary school was going through the transition from more traditional IFB to a biblical model, um, out of my dad's conviction from what scripture said that a church should be. Um, so I knew from an early age that God had gifted me in that direction. You know, first Peter, use your gifts to serve the church. And I had just been gifted with singing ability, with leadership qualities. And so I felt that God was leading me in that direction. But I'd seen the fallout of all the hurt that my dad had gone through through ministry. Um, I will say to my dad's credit, he always kept ministry at the door. Um, he didn't bring it home. We didn't hear all the intimate details of all the nasty things that people said in meetings or about what he was trying to do. Um, he left a lot of that outside of the home, which I think was really vitally important for us being shielded from that and knowing what true grace looks like. But I did see the discouragement and the anxiety and the frustration. And so I was like, no, Lord, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do something else. My giftings can be used in other ways. And so I said, I'm going to get an art degree and I'll be a teacher. Um, but God just made it so uncomfortable. He gave me that divine dis discomfort of this is not right. This is not mm. what I've called you to do. Um, and so I followed my calling, which is literally my only qualification, um, and just trusted that God would equip me and, um, and help me. That's good. That's my girl. That's awesome. Kelsey, I've had the opportunity of being at Hope Church and hearing you lead worship and obviously watching many live streams. But uh, God definitely has his hand on your life. And the thing I love about you when you lead worship, it's not just about singing. It's not just about performing. Uh, every time I've ever heard you lead worship, it has been saturated with scripture, with prayer. And every song I've ever heard at Hope Church in Danville or you singing at other locations has been the type of song that Brian talked about last week, songs that were about God, to God, for God, and really Christ-centered, focused on Him. So uh, I just love what God's doing in your life. And as a dad of three daughters, I, I think I know just a little bit about how proud Brian is when he sees you up there singing and, and singing with your mom and your sisters. And man, it's just good things are happening in Danville. That's Thank for sure. you. So, Chris, uh, you've written some of the most popular songs in all of worship music. By one life, death was defeated. Death was defeated. And this one life is paid for my freedom.
I don't know about that. Yes, they. No, I actually, I, I genuinely, I'm not lying to you when I tell you I don't exactly know how it happens. I don't know why sometimes I write a song and people sing it. I don't because I hear so many good songs, songs that I like better than my own, and they don't do anything. So it's just one of those things that it's such an honor to be a part of people's church services. Uh, it's it's an even greater honor to be a part of people's like really intimate moments at their house or when they're losing a loved one or and it's that kind of stuff. Mm. It's like mm. I, it, people joke when artists say, "Oh, I'm humbled by your statement," but I genuinely feel that because I don't know how I got here. I don't know what I'm doing right other than just doing my best to to live a life that honors the Lord. But outside of that, I don't feel like I have some special formula. And so I truly am humbled. Like to hear you say that is just like I'm I had nothing to do with getting here other than just being a willing yeah. uh person to go along with it. And so I all glory to God. I, I've Amen. messed it up more than I've helped it. I know that for sure. Um, well, I can yeah. tell you for a fact that there's one song, Your Love Never Fails. I didn't know you wrote that song. And, you know, we were sitting here and I was talking, and I was like, we got Chris coming on. They're like, man, he wrote Your Love Never Fails. And they started naming <laughs> off the songs. And just those words, I just remember as I'm coming out of legalism, your love never fails. Your love, even when the oceans roar, I don't have to be afraid. Like, that is like a theme song looking back that I remembered as one that, man, his love never fails when I'm the traditions, the, the things that I'm like building my life on, when I'm realizing that a lot of this stuff is shifting sand, his love is the solid foundation that I can build my life on. And I was like, bro, that song helped me out. And I had no idea you wrote it. So God can use and it. I'm and I'm honestly so happy that you said the lyrics to my song. Because for about two minutes, I was like, he's totally going to be like, and your lyrics, no. your love never fails and never gives. Oh, no. Can be <laughs> That's like, a good one, too. <laughs> saying all this nice stuff. Oh, that happens funny, to me man. all the time. Uh, my favorite one of those stories is I was in the UK. This sweet lady comes up to me, so sweet, and she just starts going, your song saved my marriage. And she's pointing at her husband oh, no. and she's like, come over here. And her husband comes over and she tells a really tragic story of losing a child. And, and it was horrible. And at the end of it, she goes, but when your lyrics, when you said, and if our God is for us, then who could ever stop it? <laughs> I was oh, like, no. oh no, that's the wrong Chris. But I, what I said out loud to her was, thank you so much. That means so much to me. Amen. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's the yes. only answer. That's hilarious. So, Chris, how does it make you feel when you know that people literally around the world are singing, this is amazing grace? <laughs> A song I did not write. I'm just messing with you. No. You're... How great is our God is one of my favorites. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. No, no, seriously. Seriously. So Chris, how does it make you feel when you hear people around the world singing God of miracles? Again, the best word I can describe is humble because it's, it's like, like for me, God of miracles in particular, the, the whole song was like trying to merge my childhood and my new kind of frame of reference of 
just the greatness of God. Like, oh, he mm. doesn't fit in this box. And it was like, oh, he, no, he's more expansive than that. And, and honestly, because I told you a little bit of my story, but I went through Baptist-like upbringing and then just via Jesus culture, just ended up in a lot of crazy churches and everything in between. And so at the end of the day, I think my view of God was just bigger, having been a part of more of the expression of the true big C body of church. And so I uh, uh, wanted to write a song that was like realistic, not patronizing to the people that listen to it. So I think sometimes the tendency is to lean more towards like, God will definitely do this for you. And it's like, well, that can God definitely do that for you? Sure. But I've seen it happen so many times that people don't get their breakthrough. And it's like, how do we not patronize them, but still point at the true greatness of God, his ability to do the omnipotence of God. And it was like, let's just dig into this. And so the language of that song, God of Miracles, is more just like trying to approach a miracle working God from not the charismatic side, but from the more fundamental side of my brain, which is that I, I need this to be tied to scripture, but I need it to point to something more than what is just oh, wow. in the little box that Western church specifically puts God in and then fundamental Western church makes the box like this big. Yeah, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that's kind of, and the way it makes me feel is, man, this is what I was hoping would happen. Like I was hoping I could write songs that would make people think different. I was hoping I could trick a Baptist guy into singing about miracles. I was hoping that. <laughs> and so the fact that it's happening, I really am humbled because I don't know how it happened but it's what I wanted to happen. <laughs> what was the first song you ever wrote? <clears throat> oh, first song ever. I wrote a love song to this girl uh, right after I bought a guitar because that's awesome. what you do, right? I mean, look at this yep, face. Right. I'm not the best looking <laughs> guy. I needed a gimmick. So, <laughs> you got to write a song. <laughs> yeah. I wrote... What was the first worship song you ever wrote? <laughs> first worship song. Um, Gosh. I wrote this one straight out of uh, scripture. It went, uh, submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. But that was when I was real little. Nice. But I thought that was dope. Like, <laughs> the beat went real good to like a Carmen song at the time. You guys would have loved Who's it. Who's in the house? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. that's, my so, um, that's my walk-in music. Who's in the house? <laughs> But really, I laid down music. I was trying to get a record deal around the age of 18, and I got one. So I was in Mobile, Alabama at Integrity Music, and it was like, okay, I think we want to do this. Let's work up a deal. And I, it wasn't the audible voice of God, but whatever's like right below that, I just felt like God was like, nah, that's not, that's not for you. Hmm. Just like a check in my spirit. So I was like, well, that's weird because it's the only thing I've wanted to do. On the way home, I get a call from a buddy of mine that's in a band called Sonic Flood. Do you remember them? <laughs> yeah. Yep. I want to go oh, deep. Yeah. Huh? 
And he goes, uh, hey, the band broke up, but we have a gig tomorrow night. Can you come play acoustic guitar with me? So I went to this gig, and you know how they do the little pitch in the middle for some nonprofit? Well, the nonprofit that night was the ministry we were at. And all they did was they gave out food and clothing to homeless people, and they like adopted an entire inner city neighborhood. And they shared it. And the same voice that told me no about the record deal was like, this is what you should do. So I'd love to tell you I sold everything I owned and moved to the inner city, but I didn't own anything. But I did move to the inner city and I lived there for three years and just gave out food and clothing. Hmm. And like I only did worship for, we did like a kid's outdoor service and I'd sing kid songs all day. But then fast forward, I find my wife, we get married, and I'm leading worship. I'm on staff at a church as a worship pastor. And that same voice, I feel goes, I just feel it in my heart. God's like, hey, I want you to make that album you talked about. But God sounds like me talking to myself. I, I don't know if you guys experienced that. Yeah. <laughs> like the, the, uh, um, I don't like the, the, your spirit kind of like, echoes what the Lord's kind of saying. And, sure. and so I um, heard the Lord basically say, I want you to make that album that you wanted to a long time ago. But I was like, I don't know, God, I, if this is you, then provide the money and I'll do it. And I promise you, this is a 100% true story. This man emails me. I have never met him and I still haven't met him. And he says in his email, God told me to give you money. What do you need money for? And I just was like, wow. well, honestly, like I need guitar strings and we need drum heads at church. And then I was really just trying to be funny. And at the end of the email, I said, or if you send me $15,000, I'll make a record, LOL. And Homeboy mailed a check with my name on it for 15K. Wow. So that's wow. how I got back into making music. Wow. And it was wow. at that point that I started writing again, worship stuff. And that's where Your Love Never Fails came from. And there were a handful of songs that other people recorded. And mm. You wrote Man. Yes and Amen, right? Yeah, I wrote that. That's my favorite Chris McClarney song. That song oh, has meant so nice. a lot to our team. Um, oh. It's beautiful to hear a group of people singing straight scripture. And yeah. um, when I brought up that song to learn, a lot of the people on my team didn't know that verse. And so I was like, no, guys, like this is real scripture. Like God said, this is true. Um, <laughs> and so it was cool to get to talk about the faithfulness of God, that he keeps his promises and that we can put our confidence in that. So I really appreciate that song. That's awesome. Yeah, we sing that song and it's powerful. You brought up the scripture thing. When I write songs, uh, like Your Love Never Fails, I'm trying to remember if I still have it somewhere. Each line of that song, I wrote it out and I wrote the scripture verse for it because there was one line that I thought people would get mad at me about. And it was, I said, uh, nothing can separate even if I run away. And I was like, hmm. people are going to be mad about that. But I, the scripture I wrote off beside it was, he leaves the 99 for the one. And just the hmm. idea that like, you know, yeah, I make mistakes all the time. And even if I run, run away from God, his love is still pulling me back. It's yeah. like unstoppable. Could I 
run away from God with all of my heart? Maybe, but why would I? That's stupid. So I just knew they'd be mad. So each <laughs> lyric of that song had a scripture verse beside it. And I was ready. I was like, if they come at me, and I've stuck to doing that. And I also take all of the lyrics, like I'm working on a project now. I send all the lyrics to like pastor friends I know. And I'm just like, tear it apart. Like, I want to make sure this is theologically and scripturally sound. It, because the truth yeah. is when people leave church, they remember the sermon, but they're singing these songs all the time. We're teaching yeah, right. the church theology via songs. And it's like, I, I can't carry the weight of knowing that I'm teaching people bad theology. So I try and like triple check and double check. I test it against my own knowledge of scripture. And then I give it to other people that are way smarter than me in hopes that the end product at least is not heretical and can stand on its own as, as scriptural. That is the second or third time you've mentioned sticking with scripture and making sure that the song's theology is the primary point about the song. I, I believe if all of the people that we usually address through this podcast in legalism and hyper-fundamentalism, I think if those pastors that make fun of worship leaders in skinny jeans singing 7-Eleven songs, I think <laughs> if they would stick to scripture and check, double-check their theology as much as you just talked about, yeah. I don't think we would have a reason to have a podcast, honestly. <laughs> well, the sad part is not a lot of people are double-checking their stuff. Because our, our culture promotes talent more than it does character. And so you got You're a situation right. where people that wow. sing There's real good and that have really yeah. good hooks and that have voices that draw, draw you in, you've got those people being promoted over the people that are like actually trying to diligently write scripture into songs that people wow. can can edify their own faith with well you know when we started transitioning our music you know one thing i remember about being an independent baptist and southern gospel music there were 45 million songs on heaven almost every song was about heaven and i i even pick with my friends because you know i used to write a lot of southern gospel music and i can make up a song about heaven tune lyrics and all on the spot like you could wake me up out oh, of bed yeah. at three o'clock in the morning and i can i can write you a southern gospel heaven song but <laughs> you know songs like mansion over the hilltop i'd love to see somebody try to take a bible and put a verse beside those lyrics i mean let's talk about a westernized selfish song no it's not jesus said i go to prepare a place for you and, and even if we quote King James, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. He never said, I go to prepare your own mansion. But of course, we're American Christians. So we're not going to be satisfied <laughs> unless we have our own mansion. And then like another song said, make sure you build it near the throne of God. But, you know, I'm satisfied with just a cottage below, a little silver, a little, you know, just that whole idea and so when we started transitioning to sing biblical songs, people actually got angry because some of those songs weren't tugging at those same emotions. Mm. And when you try to direct people's attention to God so that they sing to God or they sing the gospel, it's amazing how dissatisfied 
with that people were, which means they're going to be miserable in heaven when we sing to Jesus, worthy is the lamb who was slain, who has redeemed us to God uh, out of every tribe, nation, and tongue. They're they're really not going to be happy then. Uh, but, but Chris, I love that you talk about that. Kelsey, can you expound a little bit because we have a high bar set for music for the people of Hope Church. So can, can you just talk about that a little bit? Yes, I really appreciate the perspective on the importance of singing scripture. And that's really the distinguisher of a worship leader and a music leader, knowing why we sing based from scripture. Um, I think it's in Colossians 3, it talks about, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So allowing the word of Christ to dwell in you richly has to be a precursor to leading in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs because you have to know the word of God to be able to teach the church about God's word. Mm. Yeah, you know, we have a high criteria uh, for music, guys. Um, I'm not going to share our entire worship manual. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but there's about 400 commands in the Bible regarding music. But some of our language would be our goal and desire should be to sing before God in his presence with his church. The worship team should never see themselves as performers singing for the people, but encouragers who desire to sing with the people. Mm. That changes the entire perspective on why you're up there. We don't have special music. And I know that's what it was called when we were growing up, and people want to highlight that. And the reason we don't is we're just not interested in getting together and performing or witnessing performances. Yeah. We want to collectively glorify God. Yeah. That's it. Skill is secondary to substance because absolutely. I mean, there's a biblical precedent for singing skillfully. Like I think it was Cananiah in first Chronicles, you know, he led the music because he was skillful at it and um, skillful music eliminates distractions. You're able to focus on God when there's limited distractions of like people playing off chords and going off key and all of that jazz. Yeah. But y'all don't listen to how we sing it. Listen to the words. Amen. Yes. <laughs> but quality, quality and skill in music is secondary. And it's, it's honestly filthy rags in comparison to walking in grace and truth and building a strong relationship with God. Amen. Wow. That's good. That's real good. Yes, the scripture calls us to be excellent. But I don't think mm-hmm. the excellent mm-hmm. part is what we do in front of people. The excellent part is how we prepare for what we do in front of people. What we do in front of people, yeah. it, like we, you shouldn't turn on some special excellence switch in your body. Oh, now I'm in front of people, I'm going to switch it on. No, that's like weird because it's, it's worship. It's like an outpouring of my heart to God uplifting of who he is and the person of who he is. And so for me, the excellence is in the preparation. It's not in the performance. It's excellence is preparation. It's uh, excellence is not waking up early. Excellence is going to bed early so that you can wake up early. That's so true. And to use a sports analogy, they say that championships are won during practice how you prepare, how you prepare for the season. It's, you know, once you're on the battlefield, it's too late to prepare. And let's just step back into fundamentalism for a second because all of us have led worship. All five of us have spent the majority of our lives in front of people. I've, I toured the country when I was five years old singing. 
going around raising money for a girl's home and a children's home that my parents were working at. And we were on the Greyhound bus. How many times did you guys experience what I did growing up where the preacher would show up to the church, open the door, turn the lights on, walk up front, dog ear three or four pages on the songbook, open his Bible and kind of find a little verse. And then when church started, he would say, hey, who wants to play the piano or whoever wants to sing in the choir, come up front. And it was 100% obvious, zero, Mm -hmm. zero preparation and thought went into that service. From the singing to the prayer, the only thing that was pre-planned was taking up the offering. Mm -hmm. Guys in in that vein will will talk about people putting on a show. And, And I think we could all admit there's a fine line between putting on a show and pursuing excellence. Yeah. Uh, you you both said it. We should pursue excellence. God is worthy of our best, and that's more than putting on a three-piece suit and a tie, by the way, and a dress to the floor. God is worthy of our best, and preparation plays into that. And if a lot of the people that are mocking worship leaders and what you two guys do week after week, and by the way, I don't know if I've announced this on here yet, but... I'm leading worship for our church now, Gospel Light in Anderson, South Carolina. One of our elders who was a worship leader stepped down, and so in the interim, I'm stepping in as a worship leader, and I'm having an absolute blast, and we just got through practicing for about two and a half hours, so I know all the preparation that goes into what you guys do every week. Well, Nathan, what really changes your perspective on singing is when you realize why we sing. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. Listen closely. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. Mm. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. The reason Mm. we sing in the first place is because we're made in the image and the likeness of God. Atheists have a really difficult time explaining speech. Why, why do we speak? Well, because in the beginning, God said, let there be light. We're created in his image. And because we're created in his image, we speak. And because we're created in his image, we sing because he sings. When you realize that that is a gift from God, and as a gift from God, it should be used as an offering to God, that changes your entire perspective. And I love what y'all just said about striving for excellence, how it's not just when you're performing that the excellence factor comes. I just picked my son up from soccer practice. He's never played a sport in his life. This is day two. And he gets out there and he's like, Dad, he's like, man, I really suck today. He said, I can't kick a ball. I don't know what we're doing. These guys have been playing since they were four or five. And I said, but what did you learn today? What did you learn during practice? He said, we did the exact same thing we did yesterday. I went, but in the practice, that's where you're learning to perform in the game. And it's in the practice that you're finding those tools that are sharpening, that are helping you get better, that are... It, it may be a coaching point. It may be something that you're you're learning to where when you do get into the game, you're able to perform with excellence. And I think a lot of times what we do is we will point at other people who are performing excellently and think it's all just a show, but that's just the outward sign of what God has been doing in their heart because they have planned and prepared and they are leading out of the overflow, the abundance of what has already happened in private 
And the outward form of worship is led with excellence because there was that moment of planning and preparation that took place, not just going through the motions. Well, Kelsey and Chris, if you could both speak to this, uh, one of the other things in our worship manual, and, and Kelsey, I'd love for you to just just maybe share what this means to you. Being an authentic worshiper of God should be the primary pursuit of every believer. Worship is so critical that a Christian cannot be intimately connected to God without it. Worship is so clearly and powerfully commanded in the Bible that we know a Christian cannot live in obedience to God's authority without experiencing it. Kelsey, what does that mean to you? I love the John MacArthur quote. He said, worship is all that we are reacting rightly to all that he is. And that's really the truth because worship is is a lifestyle in reflection of God's character. It's not just happening within the walls of a church building on a Sunday. And if it is that, then it's shallow and it's not prepared and it's not practiced. Um, but worship is even practiced in everyday life. Um, and the biblical precedent for worship is so much broader than just singing and that's a big part of it, but um, I love even what it says in Romans 12 that we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our true spiritual worship. And sacrifice is such a beautiful part, and, and that comes with practice, too. Is It's a sacrifice of your time. It's a sacrifice of your energy. But we know that presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice is part of our sp- true spiritual worship. Um, so I think that that statement is so true that it's all that we are reacting rightly to all that he is. And all that we are doesn't just happen within a church's building. It happens in the everyday. Amen. This might be a crazy answer, uh, but when I think about what it means to worship in spirit and in truth, like what separates people that are just worshiping in spirit or just worshiping in truth, I, um, I got hit with this a long time ago. The thought that, this was back when I lived in the inner city, that if I'm going to lead worship, if I'm going to sing songs that are like, I love you, Jesus. Jesus actually said out loud, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. And so for me, what does it mean to truly anchor yourself to being in worship? Because at the end of the day, James says pure and undefiled religion is to care for orphans and widows and to keep yourself from getting corrupted by the world. I mean, that's like, you could just wrap it all up. What does it mean to be religious? Like if you're a fundamental Baptist, what does it mean to be religious? Scripture says, if you want to be the best at being religious, take care of the least of these. And so for me, when I think about how do you make sure that that your worship, if you're a worship leader is genuine, is to make sure that you as a person are impacting the least of these in some way. And it doesn't have to be grandiose. It can be as simple as just recognizing the people around you as you go through life, people that are hurting, that are orphans, they don't have family or friends. And these are people, our neighbors that we can reach out to. And so, yeah, I think as worshipers, it has to be more than just singing songs. It has to be more than just meaning the songs that we sing. And it has to be more than God, you know, accepting these sacrifices. It, it comes down to us actually truly living our lives where we impact the least of these in some way. What I don't understand about the 
really independent fundamental guys that like you see on the internet that are just going crazy is do they, are they blind to the fact that they are the Pharisee? Like, is that not the, the epitome? Like if you were to say, Hey, let me frame the Bible in right now terms, what character do I play? They have to recognize that they're the bad guys, right? I just don't get how you don't see that. But I, yeah, they don't see but it. But they're adding so I, I many extra how. rules. Like I watched a guy rant about standing up when you pee. Who cares? Like that's the most pharisaical thing I've ever heard. Some <laughs> oh, dude Steven ranting Anderson. about how you can't stand, you can't sit down when you pee. I'm just going to say it right now for all your listeners. I prefer to sit down. It's a more enjoyable experience. You can check your email. You can text your friends back. I love God with all of my heart, and I am a man to my core, and I love to man. sit down when I pee. So take that for what it's worth, fundamental Baptist guy. I, I don't know why you care how people pee or how that brings anybody any closer to God. Oh. Well, Chris, me and you are in the same boat. You have three daughters and a wife. I have three daughters and a wife. When you live in a house with four women and you leave the seat oh, up dude. a few times and you get scolded for that yeah. enough, man, you don't oh, want to risk that yeah. happening anymore. Uh-uh. No. As soon as we started having kids, <laughs> I was like, I'm sitting down. <laughs> I'm checking my email. I'm taking all the time I can. I'll, I'll be sitting there peeing for 30 minutes. I don't care. <laughs> I'm like playing games. This is alone time. And then you've got oh, some preacher it. out there yeah. trying to tell people not to do that. That's wrong. you got to get away. Oh. That's my man cave. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Getting back to what you were saying about in spirit and in truth, Chris, I think that's really important because I think people tend to lean one way or the other. There's spirit worship where it's all about feelings and there's no scriptural basis whatsoever. And then there's truth where it's, it has to be this dense and it can't be simple. Um, even if it's scriptural, it can't be simple. It has to be, you know, this old. And I think it's important to have the balance because dad also to the listeners, Brian, um, you were talking about all the songs that you grew up singing were about heaven and I think that worshiping in spirit and in truth in your music gives people a well-rounded perspective of who God is. And that's really important to teach in your congregation theology is to have a well-rounded in spirit and in truth perspective when you're going into worship music. So guys, why do you think music is so divisive? We talked about that last week. Chris, have you ever been in the, in the middle of music wars in church or have you had people who are angry about what you were leading and what you were bringing have you have you experienced music being divisive yeah yeah for sure i don't know why music is divisive i think more than music per se it's probably the theology of different songs that are ultimately the most divisive to different church groups uh i've led worship for some fundamental guys before and that's always a trip to me because um, especially when they get to the end and they're doing the weird altar call thing and they expect me to help them do it. Like for me, the last thing I want is if, if I fake, if I fake it to the crowd. So if I fake like 
convince them that Jesus is doing something in their life that isn't actually happening. Then what happens when mm. they, they learn that I, I lied? Well, they don't just question me. They don't stop at, well, I'm, my stupid worship leader is a liar. They don't stop there. They go all the way past me to God himself. And they're like, all Christians lie. God's not real. And, and it's that kind of stuff that we do as worship leaders and pastors that, that aren't healthy, where we're not pointing people to God. We're at best pulling people to ourselves and then leading them actively away from God. Chris, are you leading worship at a church? Are you still yeah, I'm, doing that? Or are you pretty much on the road? No, all the time? I'm full time at a church. I'm, I'm a worship pastor. For me, it's the, I tried to get away from it. I had a real good year in music and then we left. I had been on church staff for 10 years and genuinely felt like it was time to move on. And I thought the next thing the Lord had for me was traveling all the time, but I just missed it too much. I miss the seeing people grow and how they interact with God or how they perceive what they're doing during worship. So uh, the church I'm at now, I've been at for seven years almost. It was about 150 people when I showed up. It's called Church of the City. Uh, I got to see these people go from not like arms crossed during worship, scowls on their faces, like some of the wives would sing along, but the dudes just were not into it. And I got to see them grow from that to now you see, you know, some elderly man just weeping his hands in the sky. And that's, you don't get that on the road. You don't get to see people really grow and you don't get to pastor people. And I feel like part of my calling mm. is to genuinely pastor people from where they are to where they could be. So it's like, I don't want to leave people behind. I know a bunch of worship leaders are like, no, I'm just going to chase God and they're going to follow me. And, and I get it. I get why they say that. But I feel like my calling is to chase God and figure out how to get as many of these people to come with me. And uh, so, yeah, that ultimately I'm at church and love it. And it's my core. It has to come back to actual church because uh, being a traveling musician is, is not, that's not even one of the things in the Bible you're supposed to do. So um, being <laughs> being a pastor, a maker of disciples, that's real. Uh, traveling musician is fun. I'm not going to give it up, but it's not my calling. Chris, what's it like to lead worship? In some of the venues you lead worship, there's thousands and thousands of people. You're on the platform with the most famous of people. You know, I've seen like some of the stuff on Instagram and the worship together, I think it is, that you're a part of in that community. By the way, it's not fair. Nathan, have you seen some of the buildings and the places? Like Chris gets to lead worship in these buildings with all this <laughs> antique brick and there's all these like glowing lights hanging down. It's the perfect ambience. But but Chris, what's it like to be on a platform and there's 10,000 people out there and they're just singing with everything they have. What's, what is that moment like? Well, it's amazing. I mean, you're kind of disconnected from it. It may be different if I was putting on a show, but the fact that it is ultimately like an expression of my love for God and their love for God, it's just this like heavenly party. My favorite time ever was, uh, and 
and I'll say this, even when I'm on a big stage, I never take it too seriously. And it's for a couple of reasons. One, I don't think we should take anything too seriously except for what God did for us. Amen. Uh, but outside of that, like this is like, just be humans. You make mistakes and laugh at them. So I always mess around. My favorite one is I messed around at the Crystal Cathedral in LA, I guess is where it's at. It's all glass. Oh, it's boy. just massive. Lead worship there. And when I got up on stage, I said, hey, I've been thinking about this all day since I got here. Can we just, can I count to three and then everyone yell as loud as they can for like one split second and then we just time how long it takes for it to quit echoing? <laughs> so I got like <laughs> 6,000 people to just all go, ah! <laughs> and it lasted forever. It, I'm telling you, it was like 45 seconds. That's it awesome. got so awkward, I had to start, I had to start talking again. <laughs> Well, Brian, I was going to let it go the last time you did it, but this is, I think, the second episode in a row that you've said ambience. And for everybody else, Brian's talking about ambiance. Exactly. <laughs> ambiance. It's like a non or a nin. <laughs> Man, I'm from Mount Air, North Carolina. But I'll say this. When Nathan Cravat... A, a, Georgia Mountain Boy, when he starts, when he starts correcting my English and my grammar, that's bad. <laughs> oh boy, thank. You. <laughs> You're well, welcome. I Brian. love you anyway. So, Kelsey, what's your passion going forward, and and what what is God doing in you, and what do you want to see God do among His people through worship? Similar to what Chris said, I think discipleship. Um, is my passion right now moving forward because um, my worst fear is that anyone on my team would live in the space of my lips cry out and praise you, but my heart is far from you. I, I don't want to see anyone wow. on my team living in that space. Um, I just, I want to see people genuinely following God with all their hearts in the day to day in the moment to moment um, come alongside people and how Christ is sanctifying them in their daily life. And I think discipleship is my biggest passion and pursuit right now. So you care for the spiritual condition of the team. You oh, it's invest essential. a lot of time into that. It's essential. Um, we seek to bear one another's burdens, to um, build one another up, to dig into scripture as much as we do play instruments and sing. It's vitally important. Another thing that's super important, uh, in addition to their spiritual health, and in addition to being good at playing songs, is I think equally as important for our teams is that they learn to have fun with each other. Because there's something about, uh, Scripture talks about it, uh, the uh, special anointing that comes down on unity. And there's something about when we just be friends with each other. And it's not hyper-spiritual. It's, it's just people-loving people that God blesses. more. It's like a special blessing. Scripture talks about it. Well, Jesus actually prayed for his disciples to have that unity in John chapter 17. He wanted us to be one as he and yeah. the Father and the Spirit were one. So when we when we embrace one another in love, and also that's the defining mark of the church, I would have thought it would have been sound doctrine 
That's very important, but Jesus said the defining mark of the church is our love for one another. So, yeah, that absolutely is right. And Kelsey, getting back to what you were saying, I heard an old preacher say one time that you can only minister out of what God has done in you. So basically, preaching, singing, leading worship, witnessing, all that is is the overflow of what God is doing in your life. If God's not working in your life, if you're not overflowing on people, then anything you're doing is just a performance or a show, and that is not going to change anybody's life. You may get people to the altar, you may get people to have a religious experience, but for the Holy Spirit to truly do a heart change in people's life, I think it has to come from true heart change that he's done in your life. Absolutely. Well, you know, a few minutes ago, Chris laughed at me saying ambience. Like you could hear him laughing like crazy. So Nathan. No, (laughs) I laughed at you counting in. I think we need to let our audience know that no matter how famous you are and no matter how big of audiences you sing to, that sometimes it doesn't go right. Because recently, (laughs) the famous, great Chris McClarney had a worship fail that went viral. And I think our audience needs to hear it. Oh, yeah. Can can you play that? Yeah, play that. That was our last song of worship. And honestly, we didn't plan on singing that song. I just felt like, let's go into this song. And I was just brave. I thought I can sing that note, but I could not. So I had to bail on it quick. It was so funny to me, though. That was our last song. I ran immediately off stage to the video people. It was like, give me the video right now. I had it posted to my Instagram probably three minutes after it happened. And then I texted it to the worship fails guys because he's a buddy of mine. And I was like, dude, I got a treat for you today. That's awesome. (laughs) That is amazing. Anybody that doesn't follow worship fails on Instagram, go right now and follow worship fails. And and you will laugh like crazy. It will make you feel so much better about your music about your preaching. It's so good. Because, you know, the law of average says if you preach long enough or you talk enough or you sing enough, man, you're going to have some bad moments. Oh, they happen to me all the time. Same. This was just the first time in 4K. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Two weeks ago, my team never let me live it down because I accidentally said we fart our battles in prayer. <laughs> and Hallelujah. so, oh yes, my counterpart Jonathan had already screen recorded it and saved it, and was like, "I'm gonna send it." And I was like, "Please don't! I don't want to be famous for saying fart." That's hilarious. Oh. <laughs> well, Chris and Kelsey, it's been awesome having y'all on the RFP, and uh, man, as we just continue to dive into this topic of music. Uh, you guys have really shed some light on the inside workings of folks who make a living in music and uh, we are thankful for your hearts and uh, your ministry and uh, we want to continue to point people to Jesus and y'all are doing just that so thanks for being here with us on the RFP y'all have a good week thanks thank you be sweet y'all rock
Peace. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Be sure to stop by our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Give us a follow. Also, go to our website, recoveringfundamentalist.org. That's recoveringfundamentalist.org. There you can find Recovering Fundamentalist swag. You can get your t-shirts and hats. You can join our ex-fundy community. See where we're going to be having some meetups. It's the recoveringfundamentalist.org. Be sure to join us next time for the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast.